You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. With a show called Not The Wifey Type, I have to do an episode on marriage. And I did do the struggle of episode why black women are so attached to struggle of with a good friend of mine, Lauren Fannin, who is a married woman and does feel like she's benefited from being a married woman. But that was more so about our process of unlearning that black women deserve less in relationships because that's kind of what we grew up seeing or or being taught. But it's a little different to talk about the actual institution of marriage and to talk about the challenges that face specifically heterosexual black women who are seeking marriage and especially want marriage with black men. So the challenges of that for black women, which are unique, and also kind of the, the actual value of marriage, like the pros and the cons of being married or what you should weigh if you are seeking marriage. What does marriage potentially add to your life or what does it potentially take away and I think it's important to reflect on this because in a lot of ways in our society marriage is propped up this marital relationships are propped up as the most important relationships in our lives around which we organize everything else so it's really important to reflect on your reasonings for wanting to be married and you know what value it actually would provide in your life to be married my own desire for marriage is complicated it's I am rather conflicted on marriage and I believe it's because of the messages that I grew up getting. Um, I grew up thinking that male attention was the ultimate validation. I feel like that came from everywhere. So, of course, the obvious like music and movies and things like that. But I also remember other little examples like, for example, my mom, I remember she used to read Cosmopolitan magazine. And she used to hide them around the house. She used to hide her cosmos around the house. And I would find them and I would read them. So I'm like 10, 11, 12 years old finding these Cosmo magazines to read. And Cosmo had covers like how to how to give a blowjob that'll blow his mind or something like that. And basically, <laughs> basically, for most of the content in Cosmo, the slant was how to please a man, how to look sexy for a man, how to do X, Y, Z to keep a man. All of them were about centering men. And I think the fact that my mom hid those magazines (laughs) from me and I would find them and read them, I think it made them even more valuable to me because it was like my little forbidden fruit, right? So this has to be some juicy information because if, you know, if it weren't, then my mom would be hiding them. So, and I'm not blaming my mama for that. I shouldn't have been reading about blowjobs at 10, 11, 12 years old. But it just kind of reinforced the value of that information that they would be hidden and I would go find them and I would have to find them and and sneak and read them. Um, I also grew up in the church 
came from a really churchy background. I went to Sunday school. I went to Sunday service. And then if there was a, an evening service, I went back to church Sunday evening. I went to Bible study on Wednesday nights. If there was revival, I was in revival on Friday nights, maybe Thursday nights sometimes. So I have a really churchy background. So churchy that my mom refused to buy me Harry Potter books because they had witches and wizards in them. And my mom said that she wasn't going to have anything like that in her house. So I had to sneak and buy Harry Potter books or get them from other sources because my mama was not going for it. So super churchy. Well, in church, there tend to be a lot of messages directed specifically at women about how to be like virtuous while you're waiting on a man and, you know, how to be a good wife and keeping your legs closed until your marriage because sex outside of marriage is a sin. However, there weren't as many congruent messages for men in church how to be a good husband or what to do to get you a good wife or to attract a good wife or um you know not having sex outside of marriage because you ain't married too and it's just as much a sin for you to do it there there just wasn't congruent messages for for men so it was a lot of positioning marriage as again once again the ultimate goal to aspire to but also a lot of directing women to behave a certain way in order to be seen as worthy of you know the validation of a man asking for you to be married so just some more ways that I continue to get these um, messages that prompted prompted me to value marriage over many other things in my life so much so and this is probably why I how I ended up being conflicted on wanting marriage the the messages that I got were that I felt like other aspects of me were ignored or weren't validated. I am a person apart from my desire to be attached to someone else or my desire to be validated or seek validation through partnership with someone else. But I I found that I wasn't as affirmed in those other ways or for those other aspects of myself as I was if I was seeking partnership with someone else or, or prioritizing a boy liking me, a crush, getting attention from a crush. So I honestly internalized that marriage was marriage meant sacrifice. Marriage meant sacrificing who I am because that is the most primary relationship you can have, even above the relationship that you have with yourself. So I think that's the root of my feelings of like my conflicted feelings about marriage is I saw how important it was everywhere else to so many other people but it never reflected what I actually wanted for myself or I never wanted to give up that much and I and I did I felt like I was giving up a lot to have to be able to say that someone wants me or to to be validated by someone choosing me so I am constantly evaluating and reevaluating my desire for marriage is it something that I actually want for myself or is it part of the conditioning that that we all undergo in terms of marriage being, you know, the end all be all and the, the, the focal point of our lives? And I think part of my conflict also came from 
well, being conditioned to view marriage as all important, but also came from actually interacting with men. (laughs) So I think in my first episode, I talked about how when I went to grad school, that was like a shifting point for me because I started to learn about patriarchy and these different systems and of oppression and blah, blah, blah. But also talking to men and being less naive about who they are as a collective. It re- reinforced my conflicted feelings about marriage. I will never forget the night I had a man sit on my couch, beautiful man, handsome as ever, dark skin, like 6'2", football player build. I need to stop thinking about what he looked like because I don't need to go back there. But I'll never forget him sitting on my couch and telling me that he could basically get away with anything because black women want a man so bad that they'll put up with whatever. And he wasn't at all saying this to be an asshole. He said it very matter of factly. Um, (laughs) But for one, okay, so for one, I believe that he was right. I think that there are a lot of black women who do want, I mean, I think that all women are conditioned to value marriage, but I think that there are unique circumstances for black women that make it more challenging to have a marriage that is going to be what they want it to be, I guess you could say. So I think a lot of black women will put up with a lot of stuff just to say that they have a man. So I think he was, I believe him. But like the fact that he knew that is one thing. The fact that he was willing to sit there and say that to a black woman while sitting on her couch (laughs) is another thing. Because to me, that said, I'm comfortable enough saying this. I'm so comfortable saying this. And I believe this so much that I know I can sit on this couch and tell you this and you ain't gonna do nothing about it. And I didn't. I should have kicked him. I should have been like, okay, well, that's my time. That's, you know, it was good knowing you. It's Let's call it a night. And, you know, showed him the door. Because because if a man is bold enough to say, I can get away with whatever, because black women are going to, going to accept it because they want a man that bad, that's a man who's telling you he's out there doing whatever. And he's going to keep doing it because black women are going to accept it. So... And it's really funny because even in that situation where he was saying that, I still didn't, I still wasn't like, you know, this isn't a good idea. Let's chill out. Let's, you know, let's not talk anymore. Um, So, (laughs) which kind of proved his point because I was more so in that moment, I was wanting him to like me (laughs) and I didn't kick him out. So I just proved his point, but The fact that black men know they have the advantage in the marriage market and will act accordingly is also something that made me question my desire for marriage. What is the actual value that marriage could potentially add to my life? And what is the cost of not only trying to secure it in an environment where I don't have the advantage, but also in which there are systems and institutions in place that are actively working against my ability to find it? I've also had men be open about their intentions with me and considering marriage with me. So I have had 
a man tell me flat out. So first of all, I don't think that men, I don't pressure men for marriage because again, I'm conflicted on it. So it's not something that I ever am like pressuring a man to do or to commit to or to go there because I I need to be sure that that person is someone that I would want to marry in the first place. So it's not something that I pressure men about. So I feel like for a man to bring up marriage unprovoked in a context where he's not being pressured means he is seriously considering you as a person that he would marry. So that being said, I have had men be open with their intentions for marriage concerning me. So like I had a guy tell me that he was going to ask me to marry him and I've had, you know, other guys mention marriage or what I thought about marriage with them kind of in kind of in a way that's like I'm just I'm just joking unless you are serious or unless you would seriously consider it. And I have had to really analyze and reflect on my knee jerk reactions and my knee jerk responses in those situations where men are bringing up marriage because they are seriously considering marriage with me. And what I noticed when I would go back and think about my knee jerk responses or reactions or feelings in that in the moment of these conversations was that I was flattered. I was like, wow, someone cares about me enough to want me as a wife. It was never in the moment. It was never a thought about, okay, is this a man that I would want for a husband? It was never that. It was always me feeling flattered and feeling like a boost of, I don't know. It was like, it was just, it was, I got a good feeling from it. Uh, To be honest, I got a good feeling because someone viewed me as quote unquote worthy enough to make me their wife or to be considering me, to be considering me as their wife because actions speak louder than words. But for someone to, be considering seriously consider me as their wife again all about having validation through a man or through proximity to a man and this is honestly why I am glad I never got married in my 20s I could have been married by now I'm glad I never got married in my 20s because I would not have had a good grasp on what it was that I needed in order for marriage to be optimal optimal for me and I'm not saying that if you got married in your 20s if you're married right now and you're in your 20s that you did the wrong thing for you but as for me I had not adequately weighed the pros and the cons of being married I had no sense of what I needed from a marriage or what boundaries that I had that I needed to put in place what um, deal breaker, what deal breakers, what prerequisites. I hadn't seriously considered any of that. It was just, wow, someone likes me enough (laughs) to want to call me their wife. And and this was even in my, like, toward my later 20s. Um, So there's a difference. And that goes to show you there's a huge difference between reading books by theorists and scholars and you know intellectuals and things like that who who theorize on these different topics about patriarchy and and relationships and things huge difference between that 
and actually being out here living this stuff. So I knew all of the reasons why I felt flattered and felt validated by a man wanting to or or considering making me his wife, but it still wasn't enough for me to not actually react that way when <laughs> in the moment when it was happening. So again, I think this is an important conversation for black women especially because we need to understand our I think it's important that we understand ourselves that we understand our needs and that we understand the stakes of marriage um that we understand the challenges that face a lot of black women who want heterosexual black women who want to marry black men because there are certain things that make it more challenging for black women and I really want us, I want for us not to be defined by a marital status, regardless whether you're married or whether you're not. I, I really want for us not to be defined by a marital status. I also don't want for an absence of marriage to be something that women, black women let be a reflection of their worth because there are lots of systemic issues that shape access to marriage and not only access to marriage but whether or not the marriage the actual union is going to contribute to a life of fulfillment and that's how I wish we spoke about marriage and we thought about marriage more often is in a way that considers okay is this marriage not only not only am I married or can I get married right but is this marriage something that is going to contribute to the overall fulfillment of my life? Does it fit into the hopes and dreams and aspirations that I have for my life? And if it doesn't, being okay with passing up on that particular opportunity. But, you know, not just being pressured to be married because it checks off a box, right? How else besides checking off a box how else does it contribute to you reaching your goals and your dreams and your aspirations in life? So that's what this episode is about. It's actually a two-part episode because I like to keep episodes at less than an hour. So I will be posting part one this week and part two next week. All right, so for our next segment, we have with us here today, Tiffany Drayton. Tiffany is a writer who has been published by the New York Times, Marie Claire, Vox, and other outlets. She recently has been offered a book deal uh, based on her New York Times article, viral New York Times article, um, about fleeing American racism um, as a black woman. But today we're going to, and we'll talk more about that a little towards the end, but today we're going to talk more about a an earlier article that she had about um, whether or not marriage is for black women. And so Tiffany, thank you for joining us here today. You're more than welcome. It's absolutely my pleasure. Yes. So I read this article. It came out, I believe, in like 2018. And it really stuck with me um, before I even had the idea to create this podcast. Um, and, and I read it. And as soon as I, you know, thought to talk about this 
issue on the podcast, I immediately went back to this article and thought that you were someone who would have, you know, some good insight on this idea of black women kind of deprioritizing or decentralizing um, marriage in our lives. And so before we get into like the meat of it, why don't you tell me a little bit about your like your background and how it played a role in like how you perceive marriage or how you understand marriage? Yeah, well, I mean, I was raised like the stereotypical girl where you're just exposed to all of this, all of these Disney movies and the perfect fairy tale wedding and um, you want to be in love and, you know, you listen to Tony Braxton and all her super sexy music. You're like, mm, I want some of that. Um, so I would say early on, there was this programming where it was all about love. It was all about marriage. It was about that unity and unifying with a man. Um, so in time as you begin to experience the world, you start realizing, wait a minute, something's not quite adding up. Um, and I lived a lot of my time in on the East Coast, so in New Jersey slash New York, and I went to college in New York. So I would say that was where I got like the majority of my experiences with dating and with men. And all of a sudden, I started realizing, well, this is a little harder than what they showed on Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. So same for me. And I feel like the messages that women receive about marriage and about love are everywhere and nowhere at the same time. And when I say that, I, I mean, like the messages are everywhere, literally in all of our media and things like that, but nowhere in a sense that they're so ubiquitous that like they become invisible to us. And so if if I were to try to think of a singular source of like the messages that I received around love and marriage, like I couldn't point to just one because they're everywhere and and nowhere at the same time. So really for me, I, all I remember is like being in like elementary school and middle school and having crushes on boys and like right, really right. hoping they like me back. And like, right, right. and why am I so concerned with these, you know, little boys liking me back, right? So- Because um, they were really not concerned about whether or not we like them. <laughs> they, they were not. So, um, and then I can remember um, in my 20s, I was like 24 or 25, and I, I don't remember how we got on the subject, but we were on the subject of marriage with my, I was in therapy. I was with talking to my therapist, and we were on the subject of marriage. And I remember it coming out, like I just said that I was afraid to be married because I didn't want to lose myself in the role of, of becoming a wife or being a wife. And um, I remember her response was like, well, you know, it, it doesn't have to be like that. And my mind was kind of blown at like her saying it didn't have to be like that because I had gotten this message from somewhere that like that's what being a wife was, was to, you know, this 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 role that is all important and that subsumes everything else in your life. So um, and I and I don't even know, like I couldn't even tell her where I got that from, but that was but just how the I idea of women just kind of being consumed and having to take care of everybody else. And of course, therefore having to put this man first, it's like, it's just, it's something that's just culturally ever present and in, in just across the board, most black cultures. So it's not a surprise that you would have kind of internalized that. And for myself, like growing, I was raised by a single parent. So early on, I saw my mom by herself and it was hard. It, my mom worked as a nurse. She sometimes worked two, three jobs. Um, she never had time. And 
I wanted her around more. So to some extent, you start thinking, well, would it have been easier if she had a partner? And you kind of imagine in your mind this ideal world where she had this really supportive partner. But then simultaneously for me, I think being exposed to my mother, um, who was a single parent and who really embraced that role. My mother never even dated. She just liked her kids and she just loved her life. And we went on vacations and we laughed and watched movies and we just hung out all the time. And my family, we were just such a really small yet tight knit family. And so that became like my central kind of model for how I viewed family. So even though to some extent I was like kind of moving to these very stereotypical, what a family looks like, my own experiences with my family and my mother being a single parent as a central like figure really challenged a lot of that for me and allowed me a little more space to be more flexible with myself and viewing my future. For me, it was like, well, if I get married, cool. If I don't, cool. <laughs> because I never thought that it would define me. Right. And so I grew up with a single mom too, but I still, I don't know. And I get, I don't know where they came from. Well, I, I do know where it came from in general, but like, I still, even with a single mom, I got the message that marriage is still like the central role in your life. Right. So yeah, different backgrounds. Well, kind of similar backgrounds, but different messages somehow. But um, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was always kind of sort of a little bit of like a tomboy, not quite a tomboy, but I always like teetered on this line of like masculinity and femininity. So people didn't apply so much of those hard rules. Like, for example, I was a little girl that was like climbing on the tree, busting my face, messing up my knee, making all my clothes dirty. Um, so my mother just pretty much gave up. And that uh, and that kind of people giving up on imposing femininity and imposing the very distinctive um, feminine roles on me, it just kind of dwindled away even beginning in childhood a lot of people just were like she's probably never going to be like that so um, that really curtailed a lot of that messaging that I would have otherwise gotten and also we were just raised super isolated so my mom just moved all over America just kind of looking for different opportunities for us so she was like listen we need a good school and we can't afford this place we can't afford this neighborhood or these schools so we gotta go Um, (laughs) so we just kind of always bounced around we never remained in one environment for too long. So those like external factors that really can shape you and mold you, they weren't really present. So it was just us being exposed mostly to my mom and then getting some messages from the greater like like culture, like movies and music and stuff like that. But um, we were really super isolated. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And I still feel like I have a lot of pushback against like being defined by like a, a marital status. Like even today, um, Even like if you think about how language shapes how we categorize people and how we define them based on their like marital status. So like one of the things that some people may be like, okay, you're thinking way too deep into it. But I'm like, "Mm, no, is I would much rather and I'm not the type of person to like flex and be like, oh, I have an advanced degree. But I would much rather be called doctor than miss or missus, because those two those two things are predicated on my marital status, whereas Whereas men, there's no, your identity doesn't change once you become married. If you're a man, you're still Mr. Right. But I have to be identified by my marital status. So like even that. But think about having to change your name. It's like everything about being a woman means you have to sacrifice your your entire identity in order to indulge in this relationship with a man, which is typically for black women really one sided. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I can't say it's, it's like 
uh, at the top of my list of things to do, nor has it ever really been. Um, mm-hmm. Once I came to the realization of what it meant realistically, not in that ideal sense. In the ideal world, even still to this day, I can idealize being with this perfect partner and having support and him being rich and we can run around and, and, and have our kids and, you know, that's fantastic. But in the real world, um, I don't have to aspire to that ideal then. Right. So let's talk about that in the real world. Let's talk about um, what are some of the challenges? Well, that and that brings us to um, your article, Marriage Isn't for Black Women, um, which from watching the your follow up video or your um, your video following up on that, I learned that the, it was the editor who chose that title. But mm-hmm. um, um, what are some of the challenges that you you think uh, face black women who are seeking marriage specifically to black men in America? Well, yeah, specific to Oh man, America's a mess. That's the only reason. <laughs> At the end of the day, mass incarceration just pretty much really made the numbers just ridiculously imbalanced. Like once you are incarcerating people, once you're um, burdening them with all types of felonies and, and, and charges, they're not going to be able to get employment. They're not going to be able to get basic um, needs met. They're definitely not going to be able to support a family. So mm-hmm. that issue is something that has a ripple out effect that's going to impact black Americans for generations. And we sadly are feeling the brunt of that burden because we are pretty much the generation that had to pay the price for that. That mass incarceration really was what Bill Clinton's era. Like that's when it really shot off. Well, I mean, before that you had, they always were incarcerating the hell out of us, but that's when, you know, you really have this, um, just this ridiculous attack on incarcerating black men or, branding them and labeling them felons and making them just completely useless. And then aside from that, now you're dealing with black women simultaneously just shooting off. And here we are going to school, being better educated, aspiring. We're the best red demographic in the United States of America. Um, We're just, just killing it in terms of education. So many of us are just building our own businesses making it in CEO positions, you name it, black women, or even mm-hmm. the visibility of black women in politics right now. There are more black visible women than there are men, I would say, um, whether mm-hmm. it's Abrams or Kamala Harris or, right? So mm-hmm. you're just kind of seeing this imbalance of black women kind of taking off in a sense, and then black men doing the exact opposite. So of course, that's going to impact your the, avail- the availability of men that you can date. Because how are you supposed to find a partner that you are going to classify as equal when you have a ridiculous imbalance? And that is just in terms of like staying within the community. But then because of um, online dating statistics, they were able to kind of see this trend where black women were the, quote, least desirable, end quote, in on dating apps. And so that, that regardless of race, um, men are not jumping up to date us first. And that's uh, posing significant challenges to now overcoming this barrier of not having the availability of black men within our community. Now we, we try to jump out of the community and what do we get? Well, they don't want us straight up. Mm-hmm. 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 Or if they do, they're like fetishizing you and doing all types of madness. I dated this white guy and I found like pregnant black women porn under his bed. I was like, what is going on? What? Yeah. <laughs> black woman porn. Okay. Yeah, no, pregnant black woman porn. It was very no, yeah. and it was magazines. Who's the, who's the magazines? 
<laughs> why don't you just do it differently like a normal person? <laughs> why is it under your mattress? You know, they were just so wise. And that type of like fetishization, it's just really rampant, you know, um, in those kind of interracial dating relationships, if you do happen to stumble upon one. Um, and I just want to know part of that. I It's very hard for me to find the energy to indulge it because of like mm-hmm. not base Satan. And I, I want to say also, so there's the fetish, there's the fetishization by um, non-black men. But I also want to say that um, black men fetishize black women in, in ways too. like, like when you ask, when you ask black men, you know, what they love about black women, it's either like a body, a body type yeah. or a body part mm-hmm. or the labor that they do. Right. So yep. it's yep. kind of like on, on both ends. Yeah. But you, you, you also mentioned, um, oh, did you want to say something about that? I, did I cut you off? No, you didn't cut me off. I just actually, I just remembered this Facebook post I did a while back and it was like a woman's appreciation post where I invited all these black men that follow me to say positive things about black women because, um, you know, I'm, I'm always very critical of, uh, of gender relations, let's say, and I always have very critical posts. So this one, I wanted it to be a little more open and friendly and all of the black men commented and it was just like you said, Oh, they always hold us down and they always have our back and they work so hard. It's like, would you say that about a white woman? Like, come on. No, no you wouldn't get out of here with that no. crap. And funny enough, it just happened to get deleted by mistake. But I was like, mm, probably better that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there, there's a saying, I've heard a saying, black women are for labor and white women are for love. So I don't know. I don't know whose quote that is, but, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue. <laughs> but you also mentioned how um, uh, marriage is de- kind of de-incentivized um, in America for, specifically for poor people and for black people. Mm-hmm. So can you say a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah. Marriage is just institutionally disincentivized for poor people. And of course, black people are just disproportionately underprivileged and Mm -hmm. and dealing with poverty issues, including myself in the past. Like um, at the time that I wrote that piece, I was actually with the father of my kids and we were debating whether or not we were going to get married. And I was like, I'm not going to marry you because he was living at home with his parents. I was living at home with my parents. And the, um, New Jersey was ridiculously expensive. We were living in the hood where there's crackheads. Like, really? <laughs> we were, it was the hood. They had drug raids across the street. They had drug raids next door and across the street. And two of my neighbors got And they were Shit. young. Young guys. Shot and killed. So it was not the best neighborhood. And I was like, I don't need to be here. So what we're not going to do is get married. Why? Well, because as soon as you merge with somebody else, guess what? That income becomes part of your income in terms of taxes or whatever. Even if you file separately, like there's no guarantees that that won't impact your ability to get access to things. Like at the time I was on um, Medicaid, I was getting free health care through um, New Jersey State. And for me, while I was pregnant, that's a guaranteed thing. I know I can show up to an appointment. I know I'm not going to have to worry about a copay. I know I'm not going to have to worry about 10 million bills. And there's no way in hell's name I'm going to give that up because that's security. Now, my partner could have lost his job at any moment. I could have gotten too sick to work at the time. You know, anything could have happened to um, make it so that having access to that um, health care would have been more difficult had we had been married because there's a threshold, an income threshold. Um, aside from that, 
I was also talking about the student loan payments. And it's like, once your income is under a certain amount, you could defer your loans. But if you get married, mm, your partner's income might start counting against you. So all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you have to pay back those student loans. So for us, it just made no sense. I was like, how, why are we going to tie ourselves down to coming out of getting help when in reality, we should get that help and then use the money that we save to dig ourselves out of the hole that we're in and out of the hood that we live in mm-hmm. because it just makes no sense financially. Um, and that's right. And you two, you two are two ed- like two edu- college educated yeah, people, right? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. He had a master's. I, I was out of college. That was 2018. I was out of college already for five years. Um, he was employed full time at the hospital. It's not like we were unemployed and not doing anything. I was freelance writing just like I do now. Um, mm-hmm. But we still could not even begin to afford the cost of living because the reality of it is nobody ever wants to talk about the fact that, you know, that wealth gap between white and black families, that $100,000 wealth gap means that you don't have that parent that could co-sign anything for you mm-hmm. and co-sign a, a mortgage loan or co-sign that car payment or that car um, loan. You know, so we don't get that extra push and we don't get that extra help that a lot of white new couples would get or that here's that $40,000 to go have a wedding. Right. No. Right. We're not and, and, <laughs> for, and for some of us who who have, you know, gotten education for some of us who have gotten education that maybe our, our parents haven't that and and reached a level of um, uh, economic stability that their parents haven't. It's because that 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 safety net is not there. Uh, generationally like that means us having to go back and like help them so it's still not you know equivalent because there yep. are added- it's not just our parents it's our brothers it's our sisters mm-hmm. it's, our cousin, it's everybody um we're not safeguarded like white people are so if anybody falls it's hard on everybody because now everybody has to pitch in and make sure that they can you know survive Um, And especially now in this era, now in this era of the coronavirus and the American economy has decreased by what, 30 something percent. Guess who that's Mm -hmm. impacting the most? Black people. And Mm -hmm. it's really sad and it's really crazy. But a lot of black families who owned homes, guess what? A lot of black families are going to start losing their homes. And these Mm -hmm. homes were, for example, owned by our parents, owned by our grandparents because they weren't priced out of the market as bad as we were. We were priced the hell out of the market. We couldn't even begin. I would have to sell my firstborn, my second, and my third to afford a house in New Jersey right now. It's just ridiculous, especially in Jersey City. In the hood, houses are going for like 200. The house that my mother has is $289,000. In the hood, a bedroom with gunshots. I'm like, this don't make no sense. So, <laughs> with gunshots. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. So it's like, um, well, now I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> Sorry, the gunshots threw us off. <laughs> um, so we have to be really, really careful about the types of decisions that we make that are gonna burden us further with more, more payments. Because despite the fact that we have a little more of a safety net, that's still, um, we also have more debt. So our parents yes. have the kind of debt that we have. Yes, um, I, th- I think black women are um, disproportionately the ones who have student loans and also their student loans are are higher. Right. Yeah. So they have a larger amount. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the other thing. My ex owed like 80 something thousand dollars in student loans because he got a master's and a bachelor's and his family was not poor at the time. So he didn't mm-hmm. qualify for that financial aid. Right. And that's mm-hmm. how they get 
because if you're a middle class black family, you're not going to be able to get that financial aid. And in not getting that financial aid, now your children, either you're coming out of pocket, that little extra bit of money that could have gone towards them um, being able to get a down payment for a house. Right now you're having to come out of pocket to pay for them to attend school and you're in the hood still. So it's um, a system that's just rigged against us. It's just, mm-hmm. it's rigged against us. It's just so difficult to overcome and achieve in in that structure. Yeah. And, and I also consider how, um, you know, black women are very well educated and very well read, but um, there's also something to lose. There's also kind of something to lose if you consider the idea of like marrying down. And that's where we're going to end part one of today's episode. We'll pick back up next week on the topic of marrying down and what are the implications of that for black women, as well as probably ending off on a more optimistic note, because it probably sounds a little pessimistic this episode. So see you next week. Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not The Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. <laughs>